Hey everyone, husband here. And I'm wife. If you've been listening to us, then you know we're all about reading the Bible and reacting to it on our first read-through. Cuss words, crying, laughing, and more. We're passionate about creating a podcast that takes the sanctity out of the sacred text and simply stating it as we see it. But we can't do it without your help. We're asking for your support to help us keep this podcast going. There are two ways you can donate. Text SACDIS, that's S-A-C-D-I-S, to 53. 555 if you're in the U.S. with a one-time donation. Any amount helps. Or if you'd rather start a sustaining membership, sign up on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. Membership levels start as low as $2 a month. We are amazed and grateful for our fans that support us now, and you can become one too. With your support, we can keep sacrilegious discourse alive and well for years to come. So please donate today. Text SACDIS to 53555 if you're in the U.S. Or sign up for our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to Sacrilegious Discourse. I'm husband. And I'm wife. Together we're reading the Bible for the very first time. We grew up without religion and wanted to know what all the fuss was about. Well, what have we learned so far? That God is a dick, and apparently some people believe in talking donkeys? We're not trying to pass ourselves off as experts. Nope, we're just reading the Bible for the first time and giving our first take reaction. If you'd like to join us in this venture, you might consider starting at episode one. Otherwise, jump in wherever you like. Alright, let's go read the Bible. Yeah, let's get to it. Husband! Wife! 
do you know what we're doing today? We're we're going over uh, some sort of a book. Right, because it's Sunday. We're doing a sacrilegious book club. That's the one, yeah. Yes. So what are we going over today? We are reading from A Treasury of Jewish Folklore. Stories, traditions, legends, humor, wisdom, and folk songs of the Jewish people. Edited by Nathan Osubel. Okay, you just trying to spice up that uh that book name and the and everything there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like I like life to be fun, and it was yeah. more fun that way. No, I got it. I got it. So, Perfect. So, uh, do you have anything else to say? Or are we ready to go ahead and hop on in? Did I want to say where we're at, or do I do that? Yeah, that. Yeah, let's go ahead and say where we're at. Okay. Yeah. So, um, part one was Jewish salt. Now we're in part two, which is heroes. We're on. Chapter 3, which is Miracles, and today we are going to talk about Kabbalists, Mystics, and Wonder Workers on page 175. Sounds great. Let's go do this. Okie dokie. Okay, so we are in Chapter 3, Miracles. We're starting the section, Kabbalists, Mystics, and Wonder Workers. So we're going to start that on page 175 with the introduction to that, which I was very grateful for because I don't really know what Kabbalists are. Okay. Do you? Not exactly. I mean, they're seems like they're mystical, magical thing, people things. I mean, is that based on the fact that it's lumped no, in with Mystics no, no. and Wonder well, no, Workers? No, that's, that's just like... That's how I view that word. Oh, okay. I just don't know exactly what it means. Okay. Well, you happen to be correctish. Oh, so. I'm glad I'm correctish. Yeah. See, and I just thought something religion, blah, 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 and that's all I kind of even sort of knew. I always think of a, like, I think of them as like the people around, like, uh, where they're sacrificing a child or something like that. And like, there's some like fire in the middle and like mm. masks being worn. Okay. And okay. That's just my image of that. Okay. So. I, I, I'm following you. Yeah, okay. you, know, you know what I'm saying, right? So this is a fairly lengthy um, intro, but it's really interesting. And because it has so much information in it, I'm going to read several excerpts from it. Okay. Okay. And just jump in any time you were like, whoa, or have a Because I wouldn't anyway? Well, yeah, you okay. would. You would. I'm just reminding you that it's okay to do that. Oh, thank you okay? for that reminder. Fuck off. Okay, so beginning with the Talmudic era, there crept into Jewish thought a persistently mystical and life-denying element. Okay? Okay. And then it talks a little bit about that stuff, and it's the shadowy world of Kabbalah. Okay? Okay. And then it says, but what is Kabbalah? It is not just one book, but an entire body of esoteric knowledge, which had been created in the course of some 2,000 years by those daringly imaginative but sickly minds, the Kabbalists. Okay. They were men disenchanted with life who sought to construct a bridge between this veil of tears and God. Okay. Ah, okay. They were very God-intoxicated, and they were... um religious to the point of ridiculousness to where like they live their whole lives trying to feel God and find God and seek God. Got it. Okay. To find God, the Kabbalists renounced the world with all its snares of the senses. They substituted intuition for reason, spirit for flesh, the hidden for the visible and the unknown for the known. 
God, it sounds a lot like your MAGA Christians. I was going to say. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's a really fair comparison, I think. Because right? these people are like cuckoo beans. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And we'll get into a little bit later why um, Kabbalists and Kabbalism mm-hmm. um, became so easily accepted, adopted. Okay. Okay? Um, well, but- I, think, I think anytime you're talking about if it, intuition right like intuition is a very um sexy thing it is you know like it's but there's a historical reason okay why it was so easily accepted and adopted got it got okay? it okay that's what i meant i like, got you. There, it you know when the stars align and things are just right for kind of like trump stumbled into the perfect moment for mm. racism to rear its ugly head and come back alive you know sure not that it was ever dead but it was sleeping under the carpet right and we could sweep a lot of it under the carpet and pretend it wasn't there i mean as long as you weren't a person of brown or black skin of course right you knew it was still there but (laughs) the rest of us could kind of just like what what we elected a black president yeah exactly yeah so and and I'm counting myself in that. I was I knew that racism was a thing still, but I didn't know to what extent and what degree. And I, I I bear some responsibility for that, obviously. It's funny. I was actually I think at the time that Obama was in office, I was actually immersed in um a, not not that I I've always had I've always known that racism is present and prevalent in our country, right? But I was in the midst of working as a store manager at uh, a Dollar General at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was in it a really predominantly opened, black area. Wasn't well, it? it was in a predominantly poor area that was very heavily black, not completely, but okay. it opened my eyes to a lot of what that what it meant to be those the people living in that community, right, you know, and right. and they're not bad people; they're just. Hard just on their shit luck on. and shit on. Yeah. I mean, there's there's as many bad people there as there's bad people in rich communities. You know, like it's just yeah. it's a different type of the life. difference being that the cops are not running around right. harassing the rich people. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you said that there was one girl who was constantly late to work because she was always getting pulled over. Yeah, well, I mean, she wasn't constantly late to work, but she did get harassed by the cops. I mean, I, it was like turn signals and bullshit. You know, like mm-hmm. they literally. It was it was just crap, and she was working really hard, you know. And mm-hmm. it just there's a lot of things that it wasn't just people that I worked with. It was the community members, and like they literally, uh, you probably remember this. We went to a Goodwill one time, mm-hmm. and one of my um, people that shopped at my store invited you and me to dinner. Yes, she was so sweet. Right, she was so excited to see you outside <laughs> of the workplace and to see you with your wife out shopping yeah. and she had nothing but hugs for both of us and you had told me how she was your favorite customer and so it was really exciting <laughs> for me to see her the you know vice versa right so right. that was really cool yeah yeah so okay let's get back into yeah Kabbalah, sorry though. i went off i went off track no that's okay we were dissing the maga crowd yeah there, there's always room for that in my definitely. life definitely so Kabbalah loftily referred to itself as the hidden wisdom. And again, mm. that just, you know, yeah. the exclusive. You it, you just have to be special to know. Right. Yeah, of course. If you know, you know. Right. And it represented that kind of knowledge which could be acquired not by ordinary reason, but by the illumination of the spirit. Mm. Again, if you would just open your mind, but keep it closed at the right, same time. Right. Yeah. 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 Then you'll you'll find this. Um, 
The history of the Kabbalah winds along a complicated and uncertain course. It is a strange mystical brew of diverse ingredients combining Jewish ethics, Zor, Zor Okay, let's try this one more time. Zoroastrian dualism. Wow, that's a mouthful. Pythagorean numerology, Neoplatonic emanations, and medieval Christian asceticism. Jesus Christ. So what? Magics from all over the place with a little smattering of math and astrology and like just enough of the little sciences to make it feel real and plausible. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So um there were two books that um the the Kabbalah people followers were like really excited about. Were they okay? written by Ron L. Hubbard? They might well have been. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. One was called The Book of Creation, but there was an even bigger and better one called Splendor. Now, I'm not going to try to hmm. pronounce the um, other translation and interpretation right, right. of those because yeah. words are hard. Sure. So, Splendor, okay? Okay. And people erroneously use that term interchangeably with Kabbalah, but that the book itself is separate, okay? Yeah. So... um. It became the scriptures of later Kabbalists. Okay. okay yeah. And next to the Bible itself, it was revered above all other Jewish works by its devotees and by awestruck superstitious folk. Interesting. Right? I, the, God damn it. There's another fucking rabbit hole here. I know. Like, I know. I'm, what? Zoroastrian. Is that what you're no, looking I'm, up? No, I'm like looking at these books exist and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I think we could probably find some. Interesting. Good shit here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just because. So. Yeah. I'm I'm wow. I we're told never you. we're never this podcast will go on forever. forever. Yeah. Cuz we just there's never going to be an end to it. Ever. <laughs> I mean, I told you like I had I had read all of this stuff today and it took me like 4 or 5 hours to get through all of this. Yeah. Um to figure out which bits I wanted to leave out. Right. Because there's so much. Yeah. So um, I apologize for the things I have left out. And if it's not coming together well, it's my fault, not the fault of the book. <laughs> um, so anyway, they were awestruck, superstitious folks, excited about the work. Okay. Yeah. Because of this, the Kabbalah fell into disrepute, disrepute among the rationalists, obviously. Sure. You know, science-minded folk and fact-finding folk were like, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Right, right. This explains the popular misconceptions of the Kabbalah, usually based on inadequate knowledge, as being nothing but a silly hodgepodge of numerological and alphabetical abracadabra, <laughs> childish beliefs, incantations, and various other kinds of mumbo-jumbo. Got it. Okay? Yeah. So, it, it, this book tries to, like, what I'm reading now tries to have it both ways. It's like... Using big words to describe where it borrowed from. And then it's like, but it wasn't mumbo jumbo entirely. Right. And I'm like, but it was though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So although Jews lived in Walden isolation in medieval times, they were exposed to the influences of the Christian and Islamic worlds about them. Monasticism with its rejection of the life of the senses as cardinal sin left a deep impression on the Kabbalists of the Middle Ages. Okay? Okay. So we're going to... Um, the rejection of the senses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they would, like, 
Have you heard of mortification? Um, not embarrassment. It's where like you take a whip to your own skin, like you you okay. put it over yeah, your yeah, back yeah. and you're okay. whipping yourself. Sure, sure. Um, to try to like beat the sin out of you, but right. also because through that you're supposed to feel closer to God. Right. Okay. And so that's the kind of shit that they would get into. Okay. Okay. Sure. So. Now we're going to talk about the history, okay? Okay. So, it is indeed a paradox of history that the Dark Ages among Jews had never really existed until the latter half of the 16th century. So, at the very time when the medieval darkness had sent civilization reeling backwards in Europe, the Jews were probably the most enlightened people in the world. Hmm. And then, um, you know, the opposite happened. Right. When we were crawling out of that is right when they, they fell into in. this Kabbalist Got bullshit. It. Yeah. Okay. So um as been as has been so often pointed out by historians, the Jews were instrumental to a large measure in kindling the bright flame of learning and rationalism that we we found as we were climbing out of the, the yeah. dark ages. Right. Like thank you to the Jewish for that. Right. Um Let's see. Um, going, let's see. We're deeply developing a science and arts. Then the Jews were yielding to the hammer blows of their enemies and they were growing culturally weaker. Okay. okay. Yep. And superstition, excessive piety, and delirious Kabbalist dreams proved excellent modes of escape from the unhappy reality of Jewish life. Gotcha. So they had a reason to start thinking along these lines of, you know, magic right escapism yeah yeah in addition to harassment from death hunger epidemics and persecution the average jew now had to endure the terror of a shadowy world haunted by unspeakable demons specters ghosts and transmigrating souls Mm, okay okay so that's what this brought to them now we're gonna talk about this um this mystical sect of Kabbalism called Hasidism, which oh. refers to the pious. Okay. Interesting. So like there's but the Hasidic Jews. I'm assuming that that's I'm pretty sure that's relevant. what it is. Yes. I, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. Okay. But um, before we talk about that, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the, remember what I was referring to, why Kabbalism um, was so easily adapted adopted right yeah yeah yeah. so the immediate and widespread success of hasidism was due to a variety of historical reasons okay Okay. yep 100 years before there had been the 30 years war in which the jews suffered more than any others and from whose frightful ravages they never fully recovered okay Mm -hmm. in 1648 two cataclysmic events occurred the first took place during the cossack uprising against Polish rule led by the Hetman Bogdan Chlomolucki. Oh, yeah? I'm sure I got that wrong. (laughs) In the course of the struggle, terrible barbarities were perpetrated on the Jews. Some 300,000, or about half of the Jewish population in the Ukraine, were massacred. Damn. The terrors of the time greatly resembled those initiated against the Jews by the Nazis in our days. Wow. Okay? Yeah. So um, then there was a Kabbalist called Zabadi Zevi, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And he um, was this messianic guy that was like, you know, the the Messiah is coming. I'm the Messiah kind of thing. Sure. And um, that hysteria swept like a conflagration over all of European Jewry. Hmm. Tens of thousands liquidated their worldly affairs and readied themselves for the end of days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. The result was the only one that could be expected under the circumstances, disillusionment. Right. The psychology complicated Zabadi Zevi, the guy that I was just talking about, after a series of exciting adventures, failed his followers in the end. He embraced Mohammedanism. Oh, so like... Muhammad, yes. Islam. Islam, yes. The Jews of the world were split wide apart over the issue, and the so-called Sabatian controversy, um, which refers to him, Zabadi, Sabatian, you know, um, raged bitterly for more than a hundred years. But the effect of this debacle on the Jewish masses was paralyzing. They grieved and sank into a deep apathy. Hmm. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Hasidism. Okay, okay? yeah. I just, I wanted to, like, they put this a little bit out of order, I think. So um, I want to talk about why it was so accepted before we talk about what it is. Okay. Okay. So with the rise of the popular mystic sect, the Hadism of Kabbalah took a new lease on life, but it went through an inner and outer transformation as well. Rabbi Israel Baal Shem, and normally I don't recognize these guys' names. I don't repeat them because they're not super-de-duper relevant to what we're reading. Sure. But this guy, Rabbi Israel, he comes up in some of the stories that we're going to read. Okay. So it's important that we remember his name for future reference. Got it. Yeah. So Rabbi Israel, the founder of Hasidism, introduced the Kabbalah into his mystic cult, but without any of its forbidden bidding austerities. He borrowed from it principally the ethical, the poetic, and the ecstatic elements. Okay. He was like a nature happy guy. Okay. Like he really liked the natural world and um he just took like all the happy bits. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the legends of the Hasidism have a fascinating historical religion background, unique in all folk literature. Actually, the time span of their creation was less than 200 years, for the sect was founded shortly before the middle of the 18th century. Wow. That's so recent, right? Yeah. I mean, ish. Yeah. Comparatively speaking. Right. They are more than mere legends. They constitute a genuine body of devotional folk literature. One of the best ways to worship God, the Hasidism believed, was to read and tell the wondrous tales about Sadakim. The singing of melodies and dance were also considered forms of worship which could serve as substitutes for Torah study. Hmm. Okay? Okay. So now we're going to go back to where we were, skip ahead a little bit. Um, oh, and when the people were suffering, a lot of them lived in ghettos and they could barely read. And so they were just reciting their prayers um, by memory. By memory. By right. rote. Like, they were just parroting what they heard. Sure. And they weren't feeling it. So that's another reason why this stuff felt good. Yeah. You know, it mm-hmm. it went with the feeling instead of the knowing. It brought participation in instead mm-hmm. of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
It was therefore as if an answer to a universal need for a comforter that Baal Shem, Rabbi Israel, appeared. He went from town to town preaching an evangel of faith and joy. Okay. okay? Yeah. So remember, this is the guy that I'm telling you to, to keep in your right, mind. Right, right, Okay. Yep. Laughter, song, and the dance, he said, were the highest forms of prayer. So he gave them permission to, like, not have to know the words to still be able to feel God in their lives. Right. Like, you don't have to pray by reading the Torah. You can just feel the Torah and it still counts. Got it. Like, kind of like, just be good and be happy and be joyous and, you know, serve God the best you can. Sure. Yeah. Which there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. love of God, he declared more important than formalistic religious worship, which is what I just said. Right. To do good among men was better than to observe the minutia of law and rit- ritual. Okay. Balsham, that's um, yeah, Israel Balsham, mm-hmm, sanctified all that was humble, that was workaday. But all fundamental was his central doctrine of love, love of God and love of man. All life was holy, he said. The dry as dust, learned Talmudist or rabbi had less of a chance to taste the beatitude of the spirit and the rewards of paradise than the pure in heart and the humble, even though they might be literate. Sounds closer to like hippies. It really does. It really does. Because it's it's giving a chance for um, people who thought that they were not good enough to have God in their life. Like, it's giving them a way to still be part of it and to yeah. still feel like they have a chance at God. Sure. So, it's kind of cool, I think. But, yeah. yeah, it does have a very hippie feel to it. Right. Hippy-dippy with your crystals and your yeah. weed smoking and free love and all that shit. Right. The evangel of Hasidism that Baal Shem and his disciples preached was therefore as much of a socio-ethical nature as it was religious, which that goes to figure, you know, that, and that's wh- another reason why it was so easily adopted because it, it didn't just speak to their um, religious beliefs and their religious practices and the way they worshipped. It also impacted their daily lives as people. Right. So they they adopted it as a society, not just as a religion. Right. Okay. It revitalized the Jewish spirit, revived hope, gave the people an affirmative philosophy of life that was warmly emotional, highly ethical, rich in earthiness, though very mystical. It was a livable, workable, workable way of life, regardless of its admitted serious shortcomings. Okay. Okay. Yep. The rabbinic authorities, the Talmudic traditionalists, naturally condemned the new sect as heretical. Naturally. Naturally. I mean. Anything different is heretical. Right. Like, just think of, you know, Protestants and Catholics, right? Right. Um, you know, the um, Martin Luther banging the things on the door, nailing the things to the door and saying we should be able to read, you know, um, you guys are just making shit up and um, interpreting them willy-nilly. And I just read through all this shit, and that's actually not what it says. And you guys are taking bribes for people to get into heaven, and that's some bullshit right there. Right. So, you know, whenever there's something new that comes around that's like, let's let the people be involved a little bit, what you say. Right. Then the ones in power are like, hold on, hold your horses. Uh, that goes for any time and place. Yes. And, and- 
anything really. Readings only for those in power, and it just so happens that we are also in power. Right. 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 So um, they even pronounced the ban of excommunication against Baal Shem, Rabbi Israel. But all in vain, Hasidism was like a tidal wave sweeping over Galicia, Poland, Hungary, parts of the Ukraine, and Lithuania. Nothing could stop it, for it answered an urgent need. The Jewish masses, mashed potatoes, masses could not survive spiritually without it. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, Hasidism, like so many other religious sects, carried within itself the seed of corruption. Mm. It was inherent in the very institution who became dynastic and was motivated sometimes by less than spiritual motives. You don't say, (laughs) right? So um, it's still present, but in a different format. Well, I think it's a very small portion at this point, from what I understand. And, And again, that's not a broad understanding of it. I just, that's my... Um, that's my thinking on it at this point. I have heard of Hasidic Jews, right? But they but seem to be the smaller mean, right? group of people that exist. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, definitely. Isolated circles of Hasidism are still to be found even in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Yeah, there are also neo Hasidism. Hasidim. Sorry, these are usually of a sophisticated intellectual mystical bent. So okay. We we still find them, but, you know, like you said, few and far between and not really positive fully what they are. Right. Okay. So now that we have a better understanding, we're going to get into some of these here stories. Okay. Okay. Um, the first story that I'm going to read is called The Water Spirit on page 182. And I want to preface it with, it's a really cool story. Okay. Like, I really enjoyed it. Except the end was like, the end. (laughs) So I'm reading it because I enjoyed the story enough that I feel like it deserves sharing, even with the caveat that sorry about the ending being so abrupt. Sure. Okay. Okay. In old Constantine, there lived a cousin of the Baal Shem Tov who was named Reb Shmurl. And Reb Shmurl was a sinner. I mean, couldn't you tell from his name? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He committed one sin after another. What does it matter if I sin twice or sin 20 times? He said, at the end of the year, I take all my sins and drag them down to the edge of the water. I throw them into the lake and that is the end of them. And for the new year, I'm a clean man. I mean, that's yeah. I've wondered that myself about, you know, the ability to wash sin away. So I'm going to interrupt here because there is a footnote and I'm not going to read the whole footnote. I'm going to summarize it right quick. Okay. So apparently there is an old custom that people barely even remember why they do it. Every new year, they go to a bridge and they empty their pockets into the lake okay. to wash away. It's a symbolic washing away of your sins as you enter the new year. Right. Okay. Now a lot of people just do it because it's tradition without really understanding why they're doing your or what it is. Sure. Okay. And so he's saying like physically carrying the sins as though they are tangible objects right. that can be. So this story personifies sins as, as an object that you pick up and carry to the water. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So Reb Shmurl lived from year to year. 
And each year the sea became a little blacker because of the sins he threw into it. (laughs) And each year the bundle of sins that he brought down to the edge of the water was greater than that of the year before. Sure, why not? You get away with murder, then you become a serial killer, Right, right? right? The lake is so close to my house, he laughed. I have not far to carry my sins. <laughs> Let there be few more in the bundle. <laughs> He's like, who fucking cares? It's just water. I don't. Right. I, doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Right. But his wife said, it is because of your sinning that God does not send us a son. His wife was a holy woman. Reb Schmerl said, do you really think that is so? And she said, Yes. Then he said, well, perhaps it really is so. And he thought no more about it. And that same year, he committed a sin that was uglier than all the sins he had ever made. Damn. The sin was huge Huge. and shapeless. 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 Okay. It was like a great sponge oozing and dripping with mud. That was one nasty ass It was so bad. Like, it doesn't tell you what it is, but I'm like, what is the worst sin you could do? Did he, like, rape somebody? I mean, that's what it sounds like, right? right? Yeah. He could hardly find a place to hide it until the end of the year when he would throw it into the lake. He put it into the basement of his house. But there, the sin seemed to grow larger, to expand until the basement was not high enough to hold it. And the mud of the sin began to squeeze itself through all the cracks and to ooze into the rooms of the house and to fill every corner of the house with its damp crawly smell Mm, at last new year's day came reb schmurl took hold of the sin in both his arms and by pulling with all his might managed to squeeze it through the door of his house wow he got it out of the house then he pushed and rolled it down to the lake awesome there he said yeah yeah i'm rid of that that's what he said okay (laughs) okay the lake was angrier than ever because it too was personified in the story yeah It hissed and shook itself and heaved itself upward, trying to hurl the sin back to the shore. Mm. Yet all of its rebellion was of no use, for it had been ordained when the waters were created that on New Year's Day, they had to receive into themselves all the sins of men and cleanse them. So at last, the lake became quiet and set to work to cleanse the sin. But the deed of Reb Schmurl was not forgotten. The waters waited for vengeance. Okay. Reb Schmurl saw that his hair was becoming gray. You thought that was the boring end, right? Maybe. It's not. Okay. All okay? Right. Yeah. He saw that his hair was becoming gray and his wife had passed her best years and still they had no children. At last he said, I will go to my cousin, Rabbi Israel. Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah. that guy. Yeah. You know, they say he performs wonders for every stranger that comes to his door as for me, I'm a member of his family. Right. Which I, You're got a, you got an in. Yeah. I guess we're to take that, you know, nepotism is a thing. Sure. Sure. I mean, look, everybody talks about nepotism like, I would never. I'm here to tell you what. If I know somebody that works at the company that I want to work for, I'm going to take advantage. I am a writer. If I know somebody who is an editor or agent or knows an editor or agent, I am contacting them. Oh well, yeah. It I I don't understand why we act like nepotism is bad. Like none of it, it's called networking, you know? Yeah, but sometimes it goes too far. Yeah, That's but all. who gets to decide when nepotism is okay and when it's not? The you know what I mean? Prosperity or failure of a company, really. 
Yeah. But if the company fails, then yeah, nepotism didn't work, did it? Right. And like, for example, there, there was an article I read recently, like Nepo baby is like the word of the year right now or whatever. Sure. Okay. Um, there was this article about all of these actors whose parents were actors or directors or screenplay writers. Okay. And so all of these kid act, they, all these actors that are like famous and popular now, they got a leg up. They got the chance to, to try. They got cast as children in movies before they even knew if they wanted to be actors or not. Right. Right. And that's not fair. Whatever. Sure. The thing is, yes, they got the chance that other people don't get, but they also had to be good or else they aren't getting cast anymore. Right. Because it's a business. And sure. Hollywood ain't just going to keep casting people just to cast people. You right. Know? Right. Like eventually their luck will run out. So. And to I be just, fair, you know, if you're talking about a Hollywood actor, their parents were. Hollywood actors, so they know how to help you do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, I mean, if you wanted to be an actor and you had family that was in the business, would you not seek them out? Yeah, for sure. So, I don't know. I just, I get it that it's not fair. They have opportunities that I didn't have. And and that is true. But you also have opportunities for every family member or friend who works somewhere that other people don't have just by stint of you knowing somebody somewhere. Right. So I'm just saying. Yep. Jealousy isn't pretty, guys. Right. Okay. Anyway, Reb Shmurl. Okay. He's like, I'm going to go to my cousin, that guy, Rabbi Israel, and he is sure to nepotism see me. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, Shmurl came to um, the Baal Shem Tov. The, the house of the guy. Okay. okay. And he said, cousin, I'm growing old and I would like to have a son to live after me. Rabbi Israel talked with him for a while and remembered Shmurl's wife, the holy woman. Okay. Right. Okay. At last, the master said, go home. I can only promise you that you will have a son. But what more did I ask? Said Rabbi, Sh- said Reb Shmurl. And he began to dance with delight. But the Balshem shook his head. He looked pretty sad. Mm. Mm. He's going to die. I don't know. I, I mean, we've got an angry water who's right. planning vengeance. Yeah. We've got a sad rabbi who's not thrilled at the notion of helping dude have a kid. Where right. is this going? So he's going to have a kid, but he's not going to live to see the kid grow up. The Baal, the Baal Shem Tov's promise was fulfilled. Yeah. Don't forget that the word Baal here means master. Right, right. Okay. So anyway, his promise was fulfilled. Before the year was over, Schmurl's wife gave birth to a strong and beautiful boy. If we ever have another cat, we are naming it Schmurl. Okay. Okay? Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Not Ball. Ball Schmurl, maybe. Ball Schmurl. Ball Schmurl. There you go. Oh, my God. I love it. Okay. So they, they gave birth to a strong and beautiful boy. The father was so proud that he said, I will go at once on another journey to Rabbi Israel and thank him for what he has done for us. Like. He's the one that that gave us the baby. It wasn't me fucking you and my sperm <laughs> fertilizing your egg inside your vaginal canal uterus stuff. Well, no. apparently they've been trying for a while. So you right, know. right, right. Then the Balshem Tov said to him, "Oh wait, wait, wait! I skipped a paragraph. Sorry. Okay, he's gonna go thank him. Okay. Yeah. Then he came again 
to the town and entered the cottage where the master sat studying. The master looked up at him, and the master's eyes were filled with deep, compassionate sorrow. Mm. When Reb Shmurl looked into the eyes of Rabbi Israel, all his joyous words faded from his lips. <laughs> he did not know why, but he wanted to weep. Suddenly, he was crying like a child. Okay. Then the Baal Shem Tov said to him, your son will grow into a strong and happy boy. Yeah. But on his 13th birthday, he will go into the water and drown. Oh, damn. Damn, right? Reb Shmurl cried like a woman. He fell on his knees to Rabbi Israel and begged, help me. Why wouldn't you just keep your kid inside for his 13th birthday? And that's pretty much what they decide. Oh, okay. Okay. Everyone knows that the Baal Shem Tov was not fond of weeping, but he remembered that the wife's man was a holy woman. Uh Now he lifted up his cousin and said, the lake is angry with you because of that terrible black sin that you threw into it. There was only one way to save your son. On his 13th birthday, he must be kept away from the water. Reb Shmurl thanked him with all his heart. Reb Shmurl was filled with joy. His tears were forgotten. That is not difficult at all, he said. On his 13th birthday, I will keep him away from the water. Right. Doy. Yeah. He was ready to run off on his way back home. But Rabbi Israel called to him and said, do you not think, do not think it is so easy to remember. You will surely forget the danger that awaits your only son. Okay. Mm, Reb Shmuel said, how can I forget? Because he's a dumbass is how. Right. But the Baal Shem Tov, who saw even then how it would be with Reb Shmurl, said, Before you go, I will give you a sign that will help you to remember the day. <laughs> when you awaken on that day, you'll begin to dress yourself and you'll draw two stockings onto your left foot and then hunt everywhere for the stocking for your right foot. Warn your household that on the day that you cannot find your stocking, something terrible will happen. Okay, and something then, And then terrible. you'll remember. It'll okay. jog your memory. All right. Okay. Reb Shmurl thanked him and returned to Constantine. And he thought, what a foolish thing the rabbi said about the stockings. Whatever. <laughs> so he didn't tell anyone about it because men are dumb. What? Men are dumb. Oh, my God. Okay. The boy grew. You tell me this story is not intriguing, though. <sighs> sure. It's entertaining and interesting, right? Yeah. Like, what the yeah. fuck is going to happen? Right. The boy grew. He was stronger than any of the other boys in old Constantine. He could run faster and his eyes could see further and his hands could move more quickly. As for learning, he had only to look upon a page and he remembered it. That's great. He was as smart as Solomon. Yeah. But most of all things, he loved to swim in the water. Mm. He would dive to the very bottom of the lake and there he would swim around seeking beautiful stones. These he would bring home to his mother. He learned to stay under the water for many minutes. The fishes would come in and out of his hands, playing with him. (laughs) As Reb Shmurl saw his son growing up so strong and big, he forgot all about the gloomy warning of the Baal Shem Tov. He forgot all about it. I I don't think I could forget my son's going to die. Yeah, I couldn't either. That that would be looming in the back of my head all the time. I, I would probably just... Keep him away from the water forever. Right, yeah. Right? Like, oh, the lake is pissed off at me. The lake might not wait till he's 13. Right. Right? By the time 13 years had passed, he did not remember Rabbi Israel's prediction at all. And he prepared to celebrate the bar mitzvah of his only son with a great feast. Mm, okay. On the morning of the boy's 13th birthday, Reb Shmurl was awakened by the heat of the sun on his face. It was hotter than it had ever been before, he thought. 
He felt his whole body burning as if it were inside a furnace. Yeah. He began to dress himself. Okay. He felt very uncomfortable. He felt he had not slept enough. He was angry because the sun had awakened him and his head hurt with the heat. Okay. He drew a stocking onto his left foot and then he stopped to wipe the sweat from his body. And then without looking what he was doing, he drew his other stocking onto his left foot. Then he looked for the stocking for his right foot. He looked among the clothes and did not find it. And this isn't ringing any bells. Right. He looked under the bed and did not find it. He got up and began to hop around the room, hunting for another stocking. He stumbled into the next room and blundered all over the house, knocking over chairs and hurting his knees and falling and balancing himself against the wall because apparently he does not know how to walk unless there is a <laughs> stocking on both his feet. And he muttered and cried with anger because the day was very hot and he could not find his other stocking. He shouted and woke his wife. What's the matter? She said. Where is my other stocking? Said Reb Shmurl. Then his wife arose to see what was troubling him. He pointed to his leg and muttered, Someone has hidden my other stocking. I can't find my other stocking. Typical man, right? Mm, Someone. Somebody did it. Have you seen my, who moved my, where's my, where did you put my, yeah, somebody else did it. Never you, husband. Mm. (laughs) So the holy lady looked at her husband and saw that he was wearing two stockings on one foot Because women can see things better somehow. Right. For when he went jumping around, his stockings had become loosened. Look, Schmurl, she laughed. You have both of them on your left foot. (laughs) Dum-dum. I added the dum-dum, but she might as well have said it. Sure. He looked and he saw. Then suddenly he remembered the words of Rabbi Israel. Wow. Yay. And he began to tremble and he ran to the room where his son slept. The boy was not in his bed. Oh, shit. Reb Schmurl ran to the door. He looked through the doorway and saw the boy already on his way to the lake. Oh, man, you better go fast. Reb Schmurl shouted to his son, come back. Yeah. But the boy answered, it's fucking hot. I want to swim in the water, goddammit. Come back, cried the father. But the boy would not come back. Mm. And that's why you need to bust that ass. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't beat your children. But you do have to find a way to where when you tell them to do something, they obey. Like, so they don't die. Right. By getting drowned in a vengeful lake full of a tangible sin that is muddy. Yeah. Okay. So the boy would not come back. Then with one foot covered and the other foot bare, which apparently is a big fucking deal, Reb Schmurl began to run after his son. The boy ran swiftly. The father saw him nearing the lake. Master, help me, cried the father, and he named the name of Rabbi Israel. Then the boy tripped over the root of an old tree. Woohoo! Oh, man. Before he could rise to his feet again, his father was at his side. Mm-hmm. Come home with me, said the father. He led the boy to the house and placed him in a room and locked the door. It became very hot. The boy cried and beat on the door. Let me go to the lake, he screamed. I want to go to the lake. <laughs> it made me think of Veruca's salt. Um, in um, Willy Wonka, Daddy, make time go faster. Right. But they would not open the door. At last, the boy begged them only to let him out of that room because it was so very hot in there. But they would not let him out of the room. Mm. After that, he begged them to give him a pan of water with which to cool his body. But Reb Schmurl was afraid to give him even a glass of water to drink. Oh, Jesus. And after several hours, the boy became worn out and weak and fell to the floor and slept. 
Many people went to bathe themselves in the lake that morning. As the sun rose higher, the lake became filled with swimmers. They laughed and sported in the cool water. When the sun reached the middle of the sky and blazed angrily down on the earth, then nearly every soul in old Constantine was bathing in the lake. Mm. At exactly the hottest moment of noon, a disturbance began in the water. Ripples grew in circles around a certain spot near the shore, as though a stone had been thrown into the water there. The ripples widened and became a swirl. And out of the midst of the swirl, a hand appeared, reaching up from the water. The full arms appeared, hairy with greenish seaweed. Jeez. And after the arms came long, floating seaweed hair. A head rose from the water, and a neck and shoulders and the upper part of a body all hairy with greenish seaweed. Okay. Then the head turned slowly from one side to another, and the arms reached outward, and the eyes looked into the faces of all the bathers. The mouth moved. The voice was harsh and deep. One is missing, is shouted angrily, (laughs) and the head sank back into the sea. When the sun had gone down and night had come, the parents opened the door where the boy lay, worn out, sleeping. They woke him and gave him wine to drink and dainty things to eat, and they held the feast of his 13th birthday. The end. What? (laughs) Right? It was so good. Like, what's going to happen? And then it's like... Like, I don't know where to go with this now, so we're just going to end it. Yeah. It was like the worst episode of Supernatural ever. Right, right. Yeah, hated it. but. But it was good right up until that last sure. couple sentences, right? Yeah. Like, what's going to happen? Is he going to get up and walk into the house? Right, right. Like, I was seeing a monster, you know? Yep. <sighs> How'd you feel about it? I mean, that was a crap ending, but it was a good good story. Yeah. Okay, the next one is called The Book of Mysteries, and it starts on page 186. Okay. Okay. When the children of Horodenka ceased to sing, Israel was no longer content to remain in that place. We're talking about that same... Rabbi Israel guy. Right, yeah. He wandered again and returned to the town of Okup, where he had been born. There he became the watcher of the synagogue. The desire for knowledge came into him, and the joy that was given him by flowers and beasts in the forest was no longer sufficient. His mind was afire and thirsty, but his thirst could be quenched only by those waters that had cooled for ages deep in the deepest wells of mystery, And the fire within him was the sort that burns forever and does not consume. Mm. The innermost secrets of the Kabbalah were for him, and they were only as stars of night against the sun. For to him would be revealed the secret of secrets. Okay. The boy lived in the synagogue, but since the time for the revelation of his power was yet far away, he did not show his passion for the Torah to the men of the synagogue. By day, he slept on the benches, pretending to be a clod. But as soon as the last of the scholars blew out his candle and crept on his way home, the boy, who would become Rabbi Israel, rose and took the candle into a corner and lighted it. And all night long, he stood and read the Torah. Mm -hmm. In another city, okay, so that was the boy Israel. So somewhere else, we've got Rabbi Adam, okay? Rabbi what? Adam. Adam. Or Adam. Master of all mysteries, waiting the coming of his last day. For in each generation, one is chosen, kind of like the vampire slayer. Mm -hmm. 
to carry throughout his life the candle that is lighted from heaven, and the candle may never be set down, and the soul may not return to eternal peace in the regions above until another such soul illuminates the earth. Rabbi Adam was even greater than the holy man who had been before him, for in the possession of Rabbi Adam was the book that contains the word of eternal might. Oh, wow. So he's got a magic book, okay? Yeah. yeah. Though Rabbi Adam was not one of the innocent souls, he had led a life so pure that this book had been given into his hands. Before him, only six human beings had possessed the knowledge that was in the book of Adam. Damn. The book was given to the first man, Adam, and it was given to Abraham, to Joseph, to Joshua, son of Nun, and to Solomon. And the seventh to whom it was given was the holy man, Rabbi Adam. Wow. Yeah. This is how he came to receive the book. Okay. When he had learned all Torah and all Kabbalah, he had not been content, but had searched day and night for the innermost secret of power. When he knew all the learning that there was among men, he said, man does not know. And he had begged of the angels. So he's talking to angels, okay? Yeah. One night, Rabbi Adam... Could be delirium, you know. It could be. Probably was. Right. One night, Rabbi Adam arose from his sleep. He walked into a wilderness. Before him stood a mountain, and in the side of the mountain was a cave. And that was one mouth of the cave, whose other mouth was in the Holy Land. It was the cave of the Machpelah, where Abraham lies buried. Machpelah. I recognize that from something. It... Yeah. I don't know what, though. Right. And I meant to look it up, because what the fuck is Machpelah? M-A-C-H-P-E-L-A-H. Okay. Uh, it sounds like something that was used in Dune. And I'm wondering if they stole it from the Bible or from, you know, these stories or whatever. So you look up that Machpelah while I carry on right, reading. Right. Yeah. Okay. It was the cave of the Machpelah where Abraham lies buried. Rabbi Adam went deep into the cave, and there he found the book. All of his life, Rabbi Adam had guarded the secret of knowledge. Gazing into it, he had grown old, and he had come to see with the grave eyes of one who sees to the end of things. And when he saw himself growing old, he began to ask, what will become of my wisdom? Then he rose and looked to the Lord and said, to whom, almighty God, shall I leave the book of wisdom? Give me a son that I may teach him. So real quick. Machpelah. Machpelah. That's the cave where um, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah were buried. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Yeah. I just, I don't remember them calling it that for some reason. I think that's where I remember it from is from the the Bible. Okay. All right. I just couldn't remember exactly what it, like it's, it's I I need refreshers, you know? But I don't want to. It's been so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. So he was given a son. Okay? Yeah. Rabbi Adam. Right. His son grew and became learned in the Torah. The rabbi taught his son all that there was in the Torah. And he said, my son learns well. He began to teach his son the Kabbalah. The son was sharp in understanding. But when the boy had learned the secrets of the Kabbalah, he asked no more. Then the old heart of Rabbi Adam was weary and yearned for death. My son is not the one, he said. Mm. Night after night, Rabbi Adam prayed to the Almighty that he might be relieved of the burden of knowledge. And one night the word came to him saying, give the book into the hands of Rabbi Israel, son of Eleazar, who lives in Okap. Okay. Rabbi Adam was thankful for now he might give over his burden and die. 
He said to his son, here is one book in which I have not read with you. His son asked, was I not worthy? You are not the predestined vessel, said Rabbi Adam. You would break with the heat of the fluid. Then he said to his son, seek out Rabbi Israel in the city of Okup, for these leaves belong to him. And if he will be favorable toward you and receive you as his servant and instruct you in his Torah, then count yourself happy. For my son, you must know that it is your fate to be the squire who gives into the hands of his knight the sword that has been tempered and sharpened by hundreds of divine spirits that now lie silent under the earth. Soon Rabbi Adam died. His son did not think of himself, but thought only of fulfilling the mission his father had given into his charge. Like, I was so scared when I was reading this that, oh, no, is he going to be a shitty son and be like, fuck ever or or like jealous or angry. But no, he's a good boy. He's good. Okay. He deserted the city of his own birth and taking with him the leaves of the book, went in search of that Rabbi Israel of whom his father had spoken. The son of Rabbi Adam came to the town of Okup. He wished to keep secret the true reason of his coming. So he said, I am seeking a bride. I would marry and live my life here. The people of the town were delighted and felt greatly honored because the son of the holy man, Rabbi Adam, had chosen to live among them. Every day he went to the synagogue. There he encountered scholars and holy men and rabbis. He asked their names of them, but he did not meet with anyone called Rabbi Israel, son of Rabbi Eleazar. Often, when all the others had gone from the synagogue, Rabbi Adam's son remained studying the Torah. Then he noticed that the boy who served in the synagogue also remained there. He saw that the eyes of the boy were bright with inner knowledge and that his face was strained with unworldly happiness. Rabbi Adam's son went to the elders of the house of prayer and said to them, Let me have a separate room in which to study. Perhaps I shall want to sleep there sometimes when I study late into the night. Then give me the boy Israel as a servant. You, that could be Hmm. gross in today's times. (laughs) Like, no, you may not, sir. Right. Why has he chosen the boy Israel, who was a clod? The elders asked. Then they remembered that Israel was the son of Rabbi Eleazar. He has chosen him to honor the memory of his father, Eleazar, who was a very holy man. Mm-hmm. Okay. When the boy came to serve him, the son of Rabbi Adam asked, what is your name? Israel, son of Eleazar. The master watched the boy and soon came to feel certain that this was indeed the Rabbi Israel whom he sought. One day, or I'm sorry, one night he remained late in the synagogue. He lay down on a bench and pretended to be asleep. He opened his eyes a little and he saw how the boy Israel rose and took a candle and lighted it and covered the light, standing in a corner and studying the Torah. For many hours, the boy remained motionless in an intensity of study that the rabbi had known only in his father, the holy man, Rabbi Adam. All night long, the boy studied. And when the sunrise embraced his candle flame, he slipped down upon the bench and slept. Then the rabbi arose and took a leaf from the holy book his father had given him and placed the leaf on the breast of Israel. Soon the boy stirred, and sleeping, reached his hand toward the page of writing. He held the page before his eyes, and opened his eyes, and read. As he read, he rose. He bent over the page of mysteries, and studied it, and his whole face was aflame. His eyes glowed as if they had pierced into the heart of the earth, and his hands burned as if they lay against the heart of the earth. When full day came, The boy fell powerless upon the bench and slept. The rabbi sat by him and watched over him until he awoke again. 
Then the rabbi placed his hand upon the boy's hand that held the leaf out of the book. The rabbi took the other pages of the book and gave them to him, saying, Know that I place in your hands the infinite wisdom that God gave forth on Mount Sinai. Wow. This is that book. Right. Okay. Wait. Gave forth on Mount Sinai. So that's when Moses was there. Mm Mm-hmm. But apparently Adam had this and Abraham had this, which mm-hmm. is before Mount Sinai. Yeah. So yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. Okay. The words that are in this book have been entrusted only in the hearts of the chosen of the chosen. When no soul on earth was worthy to contain its wisdom, this book lay hidden from man. For centuries, it was buried in unreachable death, depths. But always there came the time for its uncovering. Again, it was brought to light and again lost. Also, if it was around when Adam was around, mm-hmm. didn't the world flood? Yeah. Wouldn't that destroy most books? Unless Noah took it with him somehow. But Noah wasn't one of the people. I know, right? So that doesn't make any sense either. It was safe either. in a cave. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. You know, there's some things. There's some... Uh, Loose threads. Loose threads, yeah. Plot bunnies. Yeah. My father was the last of the great souls to whom it was entrusted. I was not found worthy of retaining it. And through my hands, my father transmit this book to your hands. I beg of you, Rabbi Israel, allow me to be your servant. Let me be as the air about you, absorbing your holy words that otherwise would be lost in nothingness. Israel answered, let it be so. We will go out of the city and give ourselves over to the study of this book. The son of Rabbi Adam went with Israel to live in a house that stood outside of the town. There, day and night, they were absorbed in the study of the pages that contained the words of all the mysteries. Israel was as one who feeds on honey and walks on golden clouds. His soul swelled with tranquil joy, and his heart was filled with the peace of understanding. Often he went with the leaves of the book into the forest, and there the words of the book were as the words spoken to him by the flowers and by the beasts. But the son of Rabbi Adam was eaten by that which he fed. And yet his hunger grew ever more insatiable. The grander the visions that opened before him, the greater was the cavern within himself. And he was afraid as one who stands on a great height and looks downward. Each day his eyes sank deeper and became more red. Rabbi Israel, seeing the illness that had come upon his companion, said to him, What is it that consumes you? What is it that you desire? Then the son of Rabbi Adam said, Only one thing can give me rest. All that has been revealed to me has set me flaming with a single curiosity, and each new mystery that is solved before me only causes a greater chaos in my mind and a greater hunger in my heart. What is the one thing that you desire? Sounds like what Lucifer always asks in the show Lucifer. What is it you desire? Reveal the word to me. Uh, The word is inviolate, cried Rabbi Israel. But the son of Rabbi Adam fell on his knee and cried, Until I see the end of all wisdom, I cannot come to rest. Call down the highest of powers, the giver of the Torah himself. Force him to come down to us, otherwise I am lost. (laughs) Then the master shrank from him. He said, The hour has not yet come for his descent to earth. His companion was silent. He never pleaded with Israel again. But each day Rabbi Israel saw his face become darker and his body become more feeble. The hands were weak, and he could hardly turn a leaf. Rabbi Israel was torn with pity for his companion. At last he said, Is it still your wish that we give 
that we name the giver of the Torah and call him to earth once more? The son of Rabbi Adam remained silent, but he lifted his eyes to the eyes of Rabbi Israel. They were as the eyes of the dead come to life. Then we must purify our souls that they may reach the uttermost power of will. On Friday, the two rabbis went to the mikwah where they bathed in the spring of holy water. From Sabbath to Sabbath, they fasted. So from one Friday night to the next Friday night, a right. whole week, they right. fasted. And when they reached the height of their fast, they went again to the mikwah and purified themselves in the bath. On the second Friday night, they stood in the power of, in the house of prayer. They called upon their own souls and said, are you pure? Their souls answered, we have been purified. Mm. Then Rabbi Israel raised his hands into the darkness and cried out the terrible name. The son of Rabbi Adam raised his arms aloft and his feeble lips moved as he repeated the unknowable word. But in the instant that the word left those lips, Israel touched him and said, My brother, you have made an error. Your command was wrongly uttered. It has been caught by the wind. It has been carried to the Lord of fire. We are in the hands of death. Oh, no. I am lost, said the son of Rabbi Adam, for I am not pure. Only one way is left to us, cried Rabbi Israel. We must watch until day comes. If one of us closes an eyelid, the evil one will seize him. He is lost. Then they began to watch. They stood guard over their souls. With their eyes open, they watched, and the hours passed. They stood in prayer, and the hours passed. But as dawn came, the son of Rabbi Adam enfeebled by his week of purification and by the long struggle against the darkness of night, wavered, his head nodded, and sank upon the table. Rabbi Israel reached out his arm to raise him, but in that moment an unseen thing sped from the mouth of Rabbi Adam's son, and a flame devoured his heart, and his body sank to the ground. The end. Okay. That was interesting. Yeah. It was long. It was. Yeah. I was just letting you get through it, honestly. I'm like, wow. Yeah. This is now we're at an hour. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like there were a couple more that I liked as well, but I'm not gonna force any more upon you. <laughs> but this section was all about that guy right. who basically is what Ka the Kabbalah came from. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was interesting. <laughs> So are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean It's hard to respond to I mean, those were stories. Those were those were long stories. Long stories. Yeah, yeah. So they they were interesting. I yeah. thought they were cool no, stories I, though. Like I thought they were really good stories. Right. The endings leave much to be desired. But the stories themselves, I I was I was wrapped. You right, know? Right. I was enthralled i didn't want to put it down i was like what's going to happen next i mean to be fair the bible itself in the old testament at least thus far has some trouble wrapping stories up yeah too, so yeah there's it, it seems to be a theme of the, mm -hmm. the back then yeah i think that like actually creating a plot with a solid ending is more of like i don't know a 1600s thing or something <laughs> like we couldn't do it we just couldn't do it right you know? right yeah. although i mean shakespeare did it you know Right, that would, yeah. So I don't know, whatever. Beowulf, right? Is that was that. Shakespeare 
was not Beowulf, honey. I didn't say it was. Oh, what are you saying? I was saying that we're talking about stories that have that are stories that wrap oh, up. That Beowulf didn't wrap up so well. Well, okay. It just like recalled a bunch of things that happened. Got it. Didn't necessarily. It was more a list of events, I think. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so yeah, maybe it wasn't until the fifteen or sixteen hundreds. Yeah. I but don't know. Anyway, that was our book club for today. It sure was. It was a sacrilegious book club. And I will be getting our weekly replay together here um, shortly. Mm -hmm. And that will be out today as well. And then tomorrow we'll be back on Monday with... Job chapter 31. That's right. We'll see you guys then. Yep. Bye. Hey, wife. I guess that's the end. But husband, that's just sad. It doesn't have to be. We are on lots of social media platforms like Twitter. Our handle there is sacrilegious underscore D. For D's nuts. Oh my God. Stop doing that. Anyway, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. There's a link to all of our social media sites at our website. Oh, we have a website? Yeah, it's sacrilegiousdiscourse.com, where you can also find a link to our merch shop. We have a merch shop? Yep. We have podcast-themed clothing, mugs, notebooks, and more, as well as an atheist and science-themed products. Wow, our fans should really go check that out right now. Definitely. They can get in touch with us by sending an email to sacrilegiousdiscourse at gmail.com. But before they do that, we could really use some help. Oh, yeah? With what? Well, it's not free running the podcast, and we need some financial support in order to get better equipment, which will free up time so we can concentrate on our podcast and our fans. Okay, so what should they do? Head over to patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse and sign up as a contributor on our podcast. Supporters there receive additional bi-weekly episodes that we record just for our Patreon members for as little as $2 a month. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And Apple Podcast Reviews help us out tremendously. Like and subscribe. Leave an Apple review. Join us on Twitter. Support us on Patreon. That's a lot of instructions. Don't forget to say thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye.